real quick. Well, hold on now. Hold on. 959. We got one minute. Let me put the oh. clock too. <laughs> he told me to go. Yeah, Eric, Eric's a little. He's like on Canadian time. He's a little fast. <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now he's now he's giving me this though. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> good good morning, everybody. Hi, everyone. It is great to see you. I'm very thankful to see all of you here today. And I just want to share a couple words before we launch into uh, our first song here. Psalm 47, it says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises to our King. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Amen. So we are gathered here today, dearly beloved, to worship the God of the universe because he is awesome, because he is holy, he is righteous, he is faithful, he is powerful, his love never fails, his grace knows no bounds, and for that and for so many reasons we can worship today. So I invite you to stand with us now, and let's kick off by letting him know how great he is. Here we go. All right, let's sing, church. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's thy hands have made, I see the star, I hear the Then sings my soul, you know it. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great, how great Thou art. How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, then sings my soul. Sings my soul, 
shall come when Christ shall come with a shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall our souls then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my soul my God. Amen. So I'd love to introduce a new song to you. And at its core, the message of this song is about just seeing God, seeing him at work in the different seasons of our lives, the ups and the downs, the hills and the valleys. And if we I believe that if we take time to do that, if we're intentional about that, then we will notice that God's presence and power is much nearer than we think. Okay, And so my prayer for you this morning is that you will choose to see how God is working in each and every circumstance of your life. This is called I See You. God of love, God of all glory, every day I see new mercy. 
Great is your faithfulness. God of love, God of my story, you never fail, you never forsake me. Great is your faithfulness. I see you in the morning light. I see you in the fire by night. I hear you say, child, I am with you. Everything will be all right. See you in tears that run. I see you when the healing comes. I hear you say, beloved one, I am with you. Every moment of my life, I see you. I see you, I see you, God, I see you. God of love, God of new vision, every blessing you have given. Great is your faithfulness, oh, how great is your faithfulness. See you in the morning light. See you in the fire by night. I hear you say, Child, I am with you. Everything will be alright. See you in tears that run. I feel you when the healing comes. I hear you say, Beloved one, I am with you. Every moment of my life, I see you. I see you. I see you. God, I see you. I'll worship. I will worship through the storm, through the storm, through the storm. All my hope is in you, Lord. In you, Lord. In you, Lord. I will worship through the storm, through the storm, through the storm. All my hope is in you, Lord. In you, Lord. In you, Lord. See you in the morning light. See you in the fire by night. I hear you say, child, I am with you. Everything will be all right. See you in the morning light. I feel you in the fire by night. I hear you say, child, I am with you. Everything will be all right. See you in the tears that run. I feel you when the healing comes. You say, beloved one, I am with you. I see you. I see you. I see you. God, I see you. I see you. I see you. Yes, I do. I see you. I see you. God, I see you. God, I see you. I'd like to invite you to have a seat for just a moment. Um, Of course, one of the greatest ways that we can see God at work is in his word, right? And uh, for over 100 years, uh, Gideon's International has been dedicated to uh, the distribution of of Bibles and New Testaments all over the world. And this morning, uh, Bill and Betty Rawlinson are our special guests here from, from, the, from the Gideons, and I'd love to invite Bill up to share a little bit more about their ministry. Will you welcome Bill, please? Thank you, Matt. 
It's great to be back at Solano Valley, and you may say, I've never seen you before. Well, I've, I've been around as long as Pastor Gary. In fact, I vividly remember when he and his daughter, oh, it's his wife. He and his daughter came to California. So we, uh, Betty and I met them before they ever had a church. And so it's been a close relationship all these years. And thank you, Pastor, for allowing us to come here Every single year, we Gideons, uh, even though he doesn't like me. <laughs> I mean, that's a terrible thing to say, he doesn't like me. But uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, several years ago, uh, he said that uh, he didn't want to see the Gideons come here wearing a tie. And I said, we, we wear a tie. And I, during the, <laughs> the middle of my presentation, he came up with a pair of scissors and cut off my tie. I'm not kidding you. It was a very expensive tie that I had bought in Italy, and I couldn't replace it. And and he he cannot deny that he did that. Um, well, I guess I'm off message, aren't I? Huh? Yeah. Well, I ha- you know you have to know him for who he really is. Uh, well, I'm a Gideon. All right, and you know what Gideons do, uh, and you know what this is. I have in my hand. Yes, you know it's a Bible, and you know we we place them in the highways and the byways of the world. And most people say, "Oh, Gideon put them in hotel motel rooms." That, that's what they do. Well, that's only a little bit of what we do. <coughs> Excuse me. Since uh, we've been around since 1899, in that period of time, we've uh, distributed over two billion uh, scriptures, Bibles, and testaments. We're in 243 countries bringing God's word to the people. And uh, it, the, the ministry grows. And uh, one of the reasons we come to the churches is because we Gideons and our wives who form an auxiliary spring from the churches. There's no such thing as a Gideon who's not a church member. And so we come back and say, thank you. We can't make it without you. And please join us. We'd love to have more of you. Now, this uh, Gideon Bible, believe it or not, only 8% of our scripture distributions of the Bible. And uh, this Bible was placed in a motel room and uh, sitting on a table, perhaps not open for months. And one day this woman, upper middle class, we could use that expression, she was well off financially. Her husband came home from work and he said, we're done. We're divorcing. We're not discussing it. We're divorcing it. And uh, she, she was shocked. She did not see it coming. So what did she do about it? Well, the next day after he went to work, she went to the bedroom and got his revolver and brought it back and sat down in the living room and decided she was going to blow out her brains. And as she sat there staring at the carpeting, she says, you know, I just put in new carpeting. I'm not going to get blood all over the carpeting. You know, men and women think differently, don't they? Uh, she, she called a taxi and went into town. It was only a few miles away, walked into that motel room, and you know what she saw sitting on the uh, table next to the bed. And she thought, why not? She sat down on the bed, put the revolver by her side, and got into God's word. And God's word reached her. And uh, 
it saved her life both spiritually and physically. And so that's the kind of thing that God's word will do. And uh, so that's why we're constantly distributing it. Yeah, her husband did divorce her. And, uh, oh, by the way, that uh, motel where she went, got the taxi, it's in a faraway place. It's called Vacaville, California. Yeah, perhaps some of you have ever been there. But uh, we are in the byways and the highways of the world, reaching out uh, all the time. And you know what's so great about our ministry? Our wives form an auxiliary dedicated to the medical field. Uh, when we're putting the Bible in the motels and the hotels, etc., that same Bible is being placed by our wives in the offices of physicians and dentists. And they use a white testament to reach out to nurses and those in the medical field. And it's marvelous the effect that they have on the world. We got a letter from uh, a nurse in Texas named Elizabeth. And she said to us in the letter, I sat down at my desk and I was writing three notes. One to my physician, one to the police, and one to whoever was going to find my body. And she took a revolver, cocked it, and put it in her mouth. And at that moment, she looked around the room, and there sitting on the desk next to her was the testament that one of our auxiliary members had given her. And she said, why not? What else can I do? And she put down the revolver and started reading, and she found life in Jesus Christ. And she wrote to us to let us know how how that changed her life totally, saved her life physically and spiritually. And I thank you for supporting this ministry. Those are the things that happen when people read God's word. Now you say, well, how do we support you? Well, first of all, I've already told you that we come from the churches. No such thing as a Gideon Auxiliary member that's not a church member. Financially, yeah, we uh we take offerings. And, you know, in the back of the room is one of the greatest things that we've ever come up with, the Gideon Card Program. This is something I personally use every month. Uh, example, here's a card that says, in memory. You, they're free. You send the card to the person who's lost a loved one. You pull out the envelope inside, and you mail a check. Uh, it, there's an envelope inside with our address on it. Someone has a graduation, a birthday, whatever. Here's one that says, on your special day. We have a variety of those cards back there. Beautiful thing is we're in competition with some company that makes cards. Our cards are free. And all we're asking you to do, I didn't, name, I didn't say Hallmark. All we're asking you to do is use this as I do. Every single month I, I use this program. It's, it's marvelous. Let me take you to the capital of Nigeria, Abuja. I know your next vacation is planned for there. <laughs> they, yeah, they cha Nigeria changed their capital. It's like Abuja. One in a hotel there one day, a beautiful young woman checked in, uh, went to her room, and the next day uh, housekeeping could not get into her room. Uh, the second day housekeeping could not get into her room. And the housekeeper went to the manager and said, I'm fearful there's something bad going on there because I can't get in there to clean. He said, tomorrow uh, we'll go in if there's no response. On the third day, a beautiful young woman came down to the lobby and got the manager and said, 
thank you for having a Bible in my room. She said, I'm a Muslim. I'm not married, but I'm pregnant. And my family's responsibility is to stone me to death. So I came to your hotel to commit suicide. And I had never read a Bible before. And for two days I've been reading the Bible. And I know that eternal life comes from Jesus Christ. And she says, I am now a committed Christian. I'm going to return to my home. I don't care what they do to me because I know everlasting life with Jesus is mine. So thank you for listening to me and thank you for supporting the Gideon ministry. Betty and I are here available. Love to have someone say, I'd like to be a member of the Gideons and uh, use our card program. And uh, Pastor Gary, forgive me for telling the secrets about you and your daughter, Joy. All right. So nice to be back. And it's so nice to have you back. I just, uh, I praise God for how God is, how he's using your ministry to literally save people's lives in the physical sense and in the, of course, the spiritual sense. And um, I want to invite us to stand one more time and let's just, uh, let's just respond to what we've heard in, in worship by praising God again. Here we go. I've heard all the countless stories of who you are and all you've done. Sometimes it's hard for me to fathom that you would call me with your love. You were God in the beginning, creator of the universe. You spoke everything from nothing. You planned my life before my birth. I respond to all that I have come to know. You are great, my God. I declare your name, Lord. Above all, above all galaxies, the words I cannot see, I raise my hands to praise you, Lord, of all. You gave your life. You gave your life for me. I, King of majesty, I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. Ooh. You were God in the beginning, creator of the universe. You spoke everything from nothing. 
Prepare my life before my birth. I respond to all that I have come to know. You are great, my God. I declare your name alone. Above all, above all galaxies and worlds I cannot see, I raise my hands and I praise you, Lord of all. Gave your life for me, I King of Majesty. I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. In my life, oh, in my life, Lord, be lifted high, be glorified. Sing that again. Yes, I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. Once again, I raise. I raise my hands and praise you, Lord of all. And we praise him. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. You can have a seat. and I'm going to hand it over to Elsa right now. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Hello to Facebook and our YouTube viewers as well. We just really want to encourage all of our members to connect through different groups that are going on currently. There is a co-ed group on Tuesday nights at the church. There's another one going on on Thursday nights at the church as well. And then there's Joy's Women's Group on Sunday nights. Um, I just really want to also encourage everyone to connect through serving because that's how we really grow is through um, different groups getting together as well as serving so you can find info on group and serving opportunities on our svc app if you do not have our app yet you can download it from the app store in google by just searching solano valley church and it is free 
Um, I'd also like to invite you to tonight's revival prayer gathering. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Prayer is so critical to our mission as a church because it aligns our hearts with God's heart. It helps us appreciate what really matters to him. It changes us, helps us to become more dependent on him. And so I'd really like to encourage you all to join us tonight as we seek the Lord together and just pray for revival. Also, we're excited to let you know that we have a drive through trigger or trunk or treat, um, just around the corner. It'll be taking place right here at um, SVC. It'll be in the parking lot on Saturday, October 30th, from 1 to 3 p.m. We are thrilled to bring this event to our community, and it's a really strategic opportunity for us to love and serve our neighbors and just have a lot of fun doing it and getting to know our neighbors. So please visit. We have a trunk or treat table at the back of the church behind the sound booth. So before you leave, you can find out how you can participate or help out with donations. Right now, I want to um, continue our worship through our giving. The Bible teaches us that we have all, um, everything that we have comes from the Lord and that we are stewards of what he has entrusted to us. So when you give to SVC, you show God's love in a very practical way. You're living out good news of Jesus and helping people take their next steps with him. There are various different amounts of ways that you can do this. The first way is giving online through the browser www.solanovalley.org forward slash giving. You can also tap the Give app on the SVC phone app. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road in Fairfield, California, 94534. You can also text G-I-V-E to our number 707-883-3019. And then if you're here in person, you can also place the offering in the silver mail slot that's at the back of the church. So thank you again so much for your generosity And right now, I'd like to hand it over to Pastor Gary. All right. Thank you, Elsa. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? All right. So uh, uh, how many of you enjoyed having Bill uh, this morning? Okay. Well, well, I didn't. I didn't. I'm just just saying there. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I love Bill. I love Bill. I did cut off his tie. Okay. I did cut off his tie. Uh, and, uh, and he had another tie on underneath it, uh, because he was sneaky. He was sneaky. Um, but you know what? The, the ministry of the Gideons is a fantastic ministry. Anytime you're giving away and, and giving God's word to people, uh, that's always a great ministry. And through the years, God has used Gideons to, uh, bless many, many people and to reach many people for Jesus. And uh, so we got to hear a few stories about that today. So um, uh, real quick, uh, it's October. Wow, man, it's October 3rd. Uh, this year is almost over with, okay? Uh, and this is a time of year when oftentimes you'll get a lot of solicitation through the mail or your email or whatever. You'll get lots of uh, solicitations to special end-of-the-year giving. And a lot of times... Uh, it's to our organizations that are very, very worthwhile, very, very good organizations. 
Uh, one thing I would like to encourage you to think about as you think about any special end of the year giving that you give is just remember that that the um, uh, that, that what Jesus is about is building his church. That's what Jesus is about. And if this is your home church, I would just like to encourage you, if you're going to do some special end of the year giving, to think about, pray about possibly giving a portion of that here. And the reason I ask you to do that, for a couple of reasons, first of all, uh, because we are about what Jesus is about. Uh, and that's spreading the gospel, okay? Uh, and then secondly, I would just like you to uh, to know the last year and a half has been challenging for many, many organizations, for many, many churches, ours included. And with that, with the challenges that we've had, uh, we've had some increased expenses due to some issues that have happened over the last year or so. And uh, But we've also had a downturn in giving. And so so we're, we're not in trouble. I'm not saying this because we're in trouble or anything, but it is important. We do have a gap between our expenses and, um, and, and with our income. And it is important that we're able to meet budget on an annual basis. So I'd like you to pray about that, think about that. And then all I want you to do is I just want you to do what God wants you to, you to do. I don't want anybody to give because you feel like you have a sense of obligation. I don't want you to give because you feel like you're being guilted into it by me or anybody else. I simply want you to give. I want you to give like Jesus, and I, I want you to give if it's what you believe God is instructing you to do. So just kind of putting that in front of you. I uh, don't want to make it a big, heavy thing. Uh, real quick, also, I know we just talked about this. We just talked about revival prayer tonight. But I, I would like to plug it for just a moment if I can. Uh, I, I think in our world today, many people today are clinging to the things of this world. They're, they're looking to all these different kinds of things for their security, for their significance, for their comfort, uh, and, instead of God. Okay? And also in our world, there are, there are a number of people who are trying to use human methods to accomplish a heavenly end. Trying to use human methods. And I believe this is true both on the political right. I believe it's true on the political left. Is that people are trying to bring about social renewal, uh, social revival, and they're trying to do it through political power. Okay? But what we see in the scriptures is that, that real power comes from God. And what we see in the scriptures is that renewal and revival is always a response to prayer, the, spirit, the prayer of God's people. And my belief is that there is a remnant. I believe this. I believe there's always a remnant. When Elijah was discouraged and when he believed that he alone was the only person who would remain faithful and true to God, what God said to Elijah is, I have reserved for myself 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I believe the teaching of Scripture is that there's always a remnant. And I believe that when the remnant pray and pray what Jonathan Edwards called extraordinary prayer, I think God does extraordinary things. See, I believe that revival will come in response to, God, to God's people uh, praying. And, and I believe that, that uh, there is a remnant of people who want to humble themselves, who want to pray, who want to seek God's face, who want to turn from any and every idol of the heart that eclipses our affections for God. And so, you know, tonight at 630 right here, I'm going to be praying. And if God has put it on your heart, I would like you to encourage you to come and pray with me. Uh, that's not today's sermon, okay? Uh, uh, but just kind of wanted to, 
to talk with you a little bit about that, uh, about prayer tonight. Uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33, and I'm going to read it for us. Uh, so if you want, if you have your Bible with you, please open up to John chapter 12. Uh, again, we're looking at verses 20 through 33, and uh, I'm reading from the NIV Bible. We have it up here. If you've got an iPhone uh, or a smartphone, you can look up the scriptures there as well. I would encourage you to have it with you, though, throughout the message so you can refer back to it. Make sure that what I'm saying aligns with scripture. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, the scripture says this. It says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. This is the festival of Pentecost. They went up to, to worship at the, at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. And Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And Jesus replied, and this to me is a really interesting reply. Because it's like, it, it, it looks like Jesus just kind of looks right past these guys and starts talking about something entirely and completely different. But this is what Jesus says. He says this. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Listen to those words. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seed. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Let's pray and then we'll launch into the message. God, today uh, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us a heart to understand. God, help us to humbly receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Three things I want you to see in this text today. But before I do that, real quick, let's talk about the context. Let's talk about the context. Uh, There there are, um, in, in the whole context of this, I just mentioned, this is just a few days away from the celebration of Passover. Passover was a time, a time of celebration when the people of Israel would celebrate how God had redeemed them out of Egypt and how God had saved them. 
And so they're getting ready to to celebrate Passover in in the city of Jerusalem at this point in time is just uh, filled with large numbers of people. Uh, I've heard estimates as high as 2 million. Exactly how many people were there, really don't know. You know, those may be exaggerated. We really don't know. What we do know is that the city was packed. It was just packed with humanity. And these people had come in order to worship. And, and among these people who had come were a group of Greeks, probably proselytes of Judaism, uh, who had come there to celebrate Passover as well. We don't know for sure, but that's probably who they were. They were probably there in the city for that purpose uh, because they were there for Passover. And um, uh, the other thing to remember as we look at this text is that the day before this the day before this happened actually a few days before this happened Jesus had gone to Bethany about 2 miles away from Jerusalem and one of his friends a man by the name of Lazarus had been dead for 4 days okay so he wasn't just a little dead all right we talked about this a couple of weeks ago Lazarus was not just a little bit dead he was a whole lot dead he was very very dead this is not he flatlined for two minutes on an operating table and was resuscitated. This is four days dead in the tomb, raised from the dead. Spectacular. And what the scriptures tell us is that the day before this is that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And while Jesus was entering Jerusalem, the scriptures also tell us that many of the people who had witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus were spreading the news of what Jesus had done. The scripture also tells us that, that, that one of the things, I don't know, this sounds weird to me, okay? But then I grew up in Arkansas, okay? This sounds weird to me, that one of the things that the Jews would do in, in their worship is they would, sometimes they would, on special occasions, they would raise palm branches. Now, in Arkansas, when they worship, they say, Wu-Pig Sue, and they wear this pig hat on their head, okay? They, they, worship, they worship college football, uh, baseball, basketball, track, everything else. Uh, but but uh, what they would do is sometimes they would wave these palm branches. And what people were doing is Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It says that he came in riding on the colt of a donkey. The people were waving these palm branches and they were they were shouting Hosanna, which literally means save, save now. Hosanna. And then they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this is very messianic type of of, uh, of thinking is when when in the book of Zechariah, when the Messiah enters into Jerusalem, he comes riding on a donkey. And, and it's obvious that these people are expecting something spectacular from Jesus. They are thinking maybe he is the Messiah. He raised someone from the dead. Now, it's very possibly that these uh, Greeks had heard others talking about the resurrection of Lazarus and that pro- possibly that they had uh, they had seen uh, him entering, and, and so they were curious about what they saw. And so as they come in, and, they've, and, and, and these Greeks have asked that they might, might meet with Jesus and might uh, greet him, what Jesus does is it's almost like he ignores their request, and perhaps he did, I don't know. But what Jesus says is this. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, here's the thing. This is what I want you to see, and this is what I want you to hear. See, as you read this text, most of you are already thinking about the crucifixion.
you're thinking about the crucifixion. That's okay. Because the crucifixion frames what Jesus is talking about. But if you had been there the very first time that day, and you heard Jesus the very first time that day say these words, and you were an ancient Jew, you know what you'd be thinking? The hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You know the prophecy of Daniel about the coming of the Son of Man. And what you are now expecting is you are expecting the exaltation of Messiah. What you are expecting in this moment is no talk of death, especially death of the Messiah. What you are expecting is you are expecting now Messiah to lead Israel, to throw off the yoke of Rome, to defeat Israel's enemies, and to lead the nation of Israel back into greatness. This is exactly what you are looking for in hearing in the words of Jesus. And yet Jesus says something very, very different. First thing I want you to see in this text is I want you to see paradox in the hour of glory. Now, some of you are thinking, what the heck does that mean? I don't know. It just sounded kind of cool, you know. I think I heard it from someone else, all right, when I was reading. Um, paradox in the hour of glory. A paradox, uh, what a paradox is, it's a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement. You know, like, I don't know. Uh, water is dry. That would be, well, that's a contradiction, all right? So, so a paradox looks and sounds at first glance like a contradiction, but after closer examination, you see that it is true. That's what a paradox is. In this text, Jesus announces that the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Jews are expecting a Messiah who would come and conquer and lead Israel back to victory. But Jesus is going to tell them something very, very different. Uh, Grant Osborne, about this text, he writes this. He says, the son of, for the Son of Man, suffering is not just the path to glory. Jesus' suffering is his glory. Three paradoxes I want you to see in this text. By the way, a lot of what I get here I borrow from Grant Osborne and changed up a little bit. Just want to give him credit. If you don't know who he is, that's okay. It was... Yeah, if it's a bad sermon, it's Grant Osborne's fault, okay? Let's just let's say that, all right? Uh, if it's brilliant, I well, never mind. Okay, so uh, I want you to see this. Up to this point, well, first of all, before I, I talk about the paradoxes, before I talk about the paradoxes, real quick, real quick, real quick. As you're reading through the Gospel of John, over and over and over again, you'll see a phrase like this, his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. You'll see it over and over and over again in the book of John. And when you see something repeated, that means it's important. Okay? And so what's happening here is over and over again, John the Evangelist, who wrote the Gospel of John over and over again, keeps talking about a coming hour. And now what Jesus has just said is he has just said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then... Uh, we we see three paradoxes. The first paradox is this. Through the death of one comes life for many. Okay? That through death comes life. In verse 24, what Jesus says, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, now what what, what Jesus has just said, it is time... 
uh, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But immediately he begins to talk about his death. But in talking about his death, he says this. He says that a kernel of wheat, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But when it falls to the ground and when it dies, from that kernel of wheat come many grains of wheat. That it's through the death of the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, that life comes for many. That... Um, that Jesus is the one who had to die so that we could live. Second paradox is this. Those who cling to life will lose it. Those who cling to life will lose it. Those who hate the worldly life find eternal life. We see this in verse 25. In 25, Jesus says this. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, repeatedly, repeatedly in the Gospels, Jesus will make statements like this. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. See, the path to following Jesus involves denial. That that. Uh, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their their life? The, the, The thing is, is in this world, many people want to cling to this life. They want to cling to this life. They want to cling to all the best world, the, 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 the things that this world has to offer. Or, or, in among many people who call Jesus their Lord and Savior, you'll find people who want, they want all the, the, the good things in this life that this world has to offer with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. Okay? They want everything that this world has to offer with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. What they want is they, 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 they want enough Jesus to get them into heaven, but not enough Jesus to change the way they live. And this happens a lot. It happens a lot in 21st century North American Christianity. And what Jesus says is something very, very different. He's talking about the person who wants to cling to this life and the things of this life will lose it, but the one who walks away from it all will have true life. True life. We see this kind of, 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 um, this kind of message from Jesus. We see it in, in Matthew 16. We see it in Matthew 10. We see it in Mark 8. We see it in Luke 9. We see it in Luke 17. And we see it in John 12. Is this important to Jesus? I think so. I think so. The cost of following Jesus is high. Okay? Just going to tell you right now. The cost of following Jesus is high. It is very high. But the benefit of following Jesus is so much higher. The cost of following Jesus is high, but the benefit of following Jesus is much higher. There was a guy, his name was Jim Elliott, and... um, he died back in the 50s. He was a missionary to the Alka Indias, 
uh, Indians in, in South America. And some of you may have heard of his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, who's written a few books. But Jim Elliot, uh, when he went to the Alcas, uh, he went with a group of other guys, and uh, they were speared to death by the Alcas. They went there to share the gospel with them. They had weapons to protect themselves from wild animals. Uh, and when they were attacked by the Alcas, they refused to pick up their weapons and refused to use their weapons to defend themselves, and they were speared to death. Uh, their story was first on, was it Life Magazine? Was it Life Magazine, I think? But it was on the, it was on the front page of Life Magazine. This would have been, I think, in 55. Um, I can't remember because I wasn't born yet. So, uh, so it was, uh, but it was a long time ago. But one of the things that, that Jim Elliott said was this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, there is a cost in following Jesus, but the benefit of following Jesus is higher, much, much higher than the cost. Uh, Third paradox I want you to see in this text is this, that the one who serves will be honored. The one who serves will be honored. Verse 26, whoever serves me, says Jesus, must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. See, in this world... Uh, in this world, we're told that, that those who are honored will be served. In this world, the more people that serve a person, the more we tend to honor that person. But according to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is honored is the one who serves. And we, we are supposed to be the servants of Jesus. So the first thing I want you to see in this text today is I want you to see... Uh, I want you to see whatever it is, uh, whatever the first point was. I've already forgotten it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the paradox in the hour of glory. Would y'all like to come up and finish this message? We'd probably be done a whole lot faster. It'll probably be a little bit better, okay? The second thing I want you to see in the text, actually the second and third thing together, because this also is the paradox. I want you to see the agony of Jesus, and I want you to see the victory of Jesus. First, the agony of Jesus. That, that going to the cross, Jesus says this in, in verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. And, and then you see him having this almost like an argument with himself. He, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And then he cries out, and I believe it was with a loud voice. He says, Father, glorify your name. But when Jesus is facing this moment, Jesus is deeply troubled. You know, when we look at the cross, we need to see the agony of Jesus. We need to see when Jesus went to the cross, the beating he endured, the rejection by the nation. Betrayal by a friend, desertion by his other friends, denial by probably his closest friend, Peter. Beaten to a bloody pulp on the, before he's even nailed to the cross. Nails driven through his hands and his feet. A, a, a crown of thorns driven over his head, his head beaten with a reed. Slapped, spit upon, ridiculed, stripped naked. Hanging from a cross. Struggling to breathe. 
But the greatest agony of Jesus, I believe, and, and I'm not alone in this, and I'm not the first to say this. Many have said this before me. The greatest agony of Jesus was not the, the physical brutality. The greatest agony of Jesus was the sins of the whole world, of all humanity. Think about everything you read or see in the news. You know, we, we, you just think about the atrocities of humanity. You think about the atrocities of war, of, of, of just violence, of crime. You think about the darkness of my heart. Everything I've ever said or done or thought or felt, everything that the darkness of your heart, every bit of it Jesus bore on the cross. And what the scripture says that he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for all of eternity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity. In that moment, God not being able to look on God the Son turning away the agony of the cross. And so Jesus was troubled, deeply troubled. And so he has this moment where he says, My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And then I think with resolve and passion, he says, Father, glorify your name. He embraces the agony. God speaks from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The part of the paradox we see in this hour of glory is we see the agony of Jesus, but we also see the victory of Jesus. The victory of Jesus, we see this in verses 31. Uh, in, in 32, Jesus says, he says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, and this is a reference to his crucifixion. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. That here we see the victory of Jesus. That Jesus is the victorious judge of all the world. That, that he is the judge. Uh, Grant Osborne writes, and here I want to quote a little bit from Osborne, and then I want to try to paraphrase a little bit of what Grant Osborne has written, because I think what he says is really, really good. Uh, what Grant Osborne writes about this text, he says, this is now the hour of glory. Okay? This is now the hour of glory. The turning point of the ages. This is the most important time in all of human history. Okay? I mean... Man landing on the moon, that is nothing that is insignificant and completely unimportant. The invention of, of computers, the, you know, the invention of the wheel of fire, I don't care what you look at, you, you might think is a great accomplishment. None of it matters. The moment in all of history 
that is most important is this moment. This moment of Jesus. Now, this is now the hour of glory, the turning point of the ages, the fullness of time. When the Old Testament promises are about to be fulfilled, this is not just the time when salvation has come. It is the time for judgment on this world. And Jesus is victorious. Now, I know a lot of people don't like preaching judgment, but Jesus talks about it here. Osborne says that judgment isn't just a future event at the end of history. There will be. I was reading it again the other day, Revelation chapter 20. Osborne says that judgment isn't just a future event at the end of history. It is a present process. In his words, coterminous. In my words, it's happening in the same moment with every offer of salvation. Every time salvation is offered to a person. Every conversation, every exchange, every time, there is an invitation to respond to the gospel and to believe in Jesus. In that moment, with every offer, there is also judgment. Every time a person refuses the offer, there is judgment. There is always an offer for salvation. God is not willing or wishing that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance. But with every offer of salvation, there is also judgment when that offer is refused. Those who respond to the offer of salvation are forgiven, but those who reject the offer bring more judgment on themselves. And those who continue to reject God's offer of salvation will one day face the final judgment. The Bible says this, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Judgment has come, and it will continue to come, just as the offer of salvation will continue to be offered. Judgment will continue to come until the time of the final judgment, and then judgment will be awesome, it will be terrible, it will be glorious, and it will be final. There will be no court of appeals. Not only was the world judged at the cross, Satan was defeated once and for all. Jesus is victorious. Satan was defeated once and for all. There are more judgments to come, and Satan will one day be thrown into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the word of God. Jesus is victorious. Um, Osborne writes that the high point of history, together with... um, the, high, the, cross, excuse me, the cross is the high point of history. And together with the resurrection, it is the high point of all eternity. The basis of Jesus' exaltation to glory. The lifting of Jesus on the cross was not victory, the victory of Rome over Jesus. It was the victory of Jesus over the world. Uh, over his enemy, the serpent of Genesis, the dragon of the book of Revelation. It is his victory over sin and death. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come back up, please.
Uh, in the glory of the Son of Man, there is agony and there is victory. Agony and his suffering, victory and his judgment of the world and the feet of the prince uh, of this world. Uh, in the, um, that this is um, what Osborne calls, this is the great paradox, glory through suffering. In fact, there could be no glory without suffering. Three things we need to do, three things we need to do. Number one, live gratefully, live gratefully, soberly and gratefully. Okay? Uh, we need to live gratefully. It's through the death of Jesus that we live. Or excuse me, that it's through the death of Jesus that we live. Secondly, we need to renounce the things of this worldly life so that we may enjoy eternal life. And third, we need to follow and serve Jesus in all things. Let's pray. God, today, we pray that you will be glorified. We pray that you will be glorified. Uh, that your name will be glorified in our lives. Uh, God, we want to honor you in the way that we live. We want to live with a sense of gratitude and thankfulness that, that through the death of one came life for many, came life for us. God, we want to, um, we really want to follow Jesus. We really want to serve him. Lord, we really do want to set aside uh, the, 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 the longings of this worldly life that look like idols of the heart, and we want to cling to life, true life, eternal life that we have in Jesus, and to live that out in our daily experience. We pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Stand together, church. God of love, God of all glory, every day I see new mercy. Great is your faithfulness. God of love, God of my story, you never fail, you never forsake me. Great is your faithfulness. See you in the morning light. I see you in the fire by night. I hear you say, Child, I am with you. Everything will be alright. See you in tears that run. I feel you when the healing comes. I hear you say, Beloved one, I am with you. Every moment of my life. I see you, I see you, I see you, God, I see you. God of love, God of new vision, every blessing you have given, great is your faithfulness, oh, how great is your faithfulness. See you in the morning light See you in the fire by night I hear you say, child, I am with you Everything will be alright See you in tears that run I feel you when the healing comes I 
loving one, I am with you. Every moment of my life, I see you. I see you. I see you. God, I see you. And we thank you so very much for being here this morning. Bill, Betty, thank you so much. Hope to see you back here tonight at 630 for Revival Prayer. Have a great day.